You're listening to the Touchdown Under podcast with Jack, Emilian, Anthony, and Arif. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Touchdown Under podcast. I'm Jack, your host, and as always, I'm joined by Emilian. Hey, how's it going? Anthony. Good to be here. And Arif. Happy to be back. Now, today is episode 12 of the podcast, and today is part two of our State of the Franchise series, and today we have the NFC North and NFC South to go through today, but before we do that, we're going to kick it off with our new segment, as we always do, and the main news this week in the NFL was the player opt-out deadline, which was early Friday morning. Now, among the notable players to opt-out since last week include Ravens wide receiver DeAnthony Thomas, Bills cornerback EJ Gaines, Broncos tackle Juwan James, Lions wide receiver Geronimo Allison, Chiefs offensive tackle Lucas Niang, Jaguars cornerback Rashawn Melvin, Dolphins wide receivers Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson, Patriots wide receiver Marquise Lee, Jets wide receiver Josh Doxson and linebacker CJ Mosley, 49ers wide receiver Travis Benjamin and free agent Pro Bowl offensive guard Larry Warford. Emilian, which team is most affected by the player opt-outs? Uh, for me, it's the Patriots. Easy. They've uh, lost to Dante Hightower, as you said, Marquise Lee. Uh, I believe Marcus Cannon as well. I think their defense is going to suffer, especially without Hightower there. I think he's a great leader on that team. And, you know, with their offense not being quite as good as it was last season, I don't know how they're going to do this season without a strong defense. Yeah, I agree. I think the Patriots are the most affected. Uh, obviously, Hightower, Chung, Lee, and Cannon are some pretty important names. And it'll be um, there'll be some pretty big losses for them this season. So it'll be interesting to see how they cope with those absences. I mean, it'll definitely have a negative impact on the defense, which was obviously deemed one of the best in the league last season. I also thought the Dolphins, you know, have been also, you know, pretty affected by the opt-outs, you know, losing some of some of their key wide receiver depth in Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson. Arif, what do you reckon? I agree. I feel like there's not much really behind Devontae Parker and Preston Williams now. I think as a whole, as a division, the AFC East has been affected pretty adversely to this point due to the opt-outs. I mean, they were already a weak division, and now there's some really big names not going to be there. As you mentioned, Emilian Dante Hightower, also CJ Mosley. So there's a couple of leaders there that won't be there on their teams in the 2020 season. Now, that was the main news of the week. So that concludes our pretty brief news segment this week. So we're going to move straight into our uh, state of the franchise for the NFC North, and we're going to kick it off with the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, like last week, we've got two questions for each team, and we're going to be going around the four of us to see what we think about each question. Now, the first question we have for the Packers is, can they replicate their 13-3 campaign from last season, Anthony? To start off, I think it's worth noting that the Packers finished third in their division at the end of the 2018 season, which granted them a much easier schedule which they had last year. On top of this, they had to play teams in the AFC West and NFC East, which really gave them an easy path to go, path to go 13-3. and three. So I think putting all like the players and the acquisitions and the losses over the offseason aside, 
I think it's important to note that the schedule they had in, you know, in 2019 was much easier to go 13-3 and compared to other teams that did so, like, you know, the Saints. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, they really benefited from an easy schedule. And when a team like the Packers go 13-3 and you look at some of the wins they had, I mean, both games against the Lions were extremely close. And honestly, the Lions should have won one of them for sure. Uh, Packers haven't improved on paper. I think that other great teams in the NFC have improved and there's way too much competition for them to go 13-3. and I liked your point, Anthony, about the easy schedule Green Bay had in 2019. Um, another point about the Packers is I, I, I don't think that they can replicate their 13-3 year. I think it's, it's, I think it's similar to Matt Nagy's first season with the Bears. He had a lot of success there in his first year, but once teams started getting tape on him in his second year, they kind of had had their own struggles. And so I feel like now that teams have tape on Lafleur, uh, he's going to make he's going to have to you know introduce some new uh, wrinkles in their offense to be able to kind of um, keep other teams on their toes. Uh, I also think there is that little bit of. Rogers losing faith in the coaching staff and the front office. You know, he doesn't have a lot of right receiver help. Obviously, Funchess opting out of the season doesn't help that fact. Um, as we've, you know, documented pretty well, they did not go to the draft to help out Rogers with um, any with with many weapons. And so I feel like him losing faith in his own team might be a factor this season. I agree with all the points you guys made. I also like to allude to the 2020 season and the Packers schedule. I I think there's no chance that they can go 13 and three when they have a stretch where, where I mean they play teams like the Saints, the Buccaneers. Well, they have a stretch where they play the Saints, Bucks, Texans, Vikings, and then the 49ers. I think that it's too much of an ask for them to be able to go to 13 and three, especially with the points that you guys just made. On to our second question for the Packers, and that is where do they stand in regards to the other top teams in the NFC? I think they're significantly worse than the 49ers and Saints. You know, they I think they were the top teams in the NFC last year. Uh, the Packers, despite having one of the best quarterbacks in the game, I don't think they're at that elite level. Honestly, I think they're an above-average team. You know, a good team. But I think if you say they're one of the top teams in the NFC, I think you're just holding them in too high of a regard. I think they're more on the level of the Eagles. You know, I think 10-6, 11-5 at best. Compared to the other top teams in the NFC, such as the Seahawks, the Niners, and the Saints, I think the Packers not drafting a receiver has to be the biggest hurdle for them to have to overcome to become, you know, one of those top teams in the conference. Whilst Devontae Adams is definitely a top five receiver, in my opinion, I think the Packers, they lack a lot of um, talent at wide receiver. You know, they went out and got Devin Funchess in the offseason, which I don't think would have been that much of a, of a you know, well, benefit to their wide receiver core. But as since he's opted out, he can't be of any use. And also with the young players that they have, uh, such as, Equinemia St. Brown, Brown, Alan Lazard, and Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Just too inexperienced to really boost the Packers' receiver core by any means to compete with the other teams in the NFC. I agree, Anthony. I don't think Funches would have made that much of a difference. Obviously, he would have improved the receiving core slightly, but not really enough to elevate them you know, to one of the more premier receiving cores in the NFL. Uh, I feel like 
they're an above average team in the NF in the NFC, and that's about it. I feel like teams like the Eagles, Seahawks, 49ers, Buccaneers, and Saints all uh have better prospects than the Packers, you know, at least for this season. Mm-hmm. Now we move on to the Minnesota Vikings, and our first question for them is are they any closer to a Super Bowl? Anthony? It's hard to say whether or not the Vikings are any closer to Super Bowl simply because there are many alterations to their roster, you know, for better or for worse. On one hand, having Cousins win his first playoff game, you know, last year really adds to his game going into the 2020 season. And along with a healthy Adam Thielen and first-round draft pick Justin Jefferson, the offense, the offense seems primed to, you know, to improve in the 2019 campaign. However, the questions on the defense for the Vikings really lie with the departures of players such as Everson Griffin, Lindell Joseph, Trey Waynes, and Xavier Rhodes, just to mention a few. All these losses just add to a you know collective loss of experience. And whether or not the defensive players, you know, the Vikings drafted can replace these guys and can account for this loss of experience will be the biggest question mark in determining whether or not they're any closer to a Super Bowl or not. And in my opinion, I think at this stage they're probably, you know, they've taken a step back from that Super Bowl. You know, appearance they might have had in a few seasons if they had kept their you know really key defensive players just at the moment no i i don't think they're any closer i agree with you anthony i don't see them winning a super bowl anytime soon i think their national uh their nfc championship appearance in 20 in 2018 playoffs i think that's as far as i'll go with kirk cousins now at under center i don't think he's the right guy to take them all the way back uh, as you said, the losses, I think, are just too great. They they made the NFC Championship those years ago with one of the best defenses in the league. They no longer have that. They lost Stefan Diggs. Yeah. Kirk Cousins isn't the guy to lead them, in my opinion. So I don't think Vikings are close at all to a Super Bowl, especially with how competitive the NFC is. Anthony, I agree with all your points. Uh, there's a lot of offseason change, you know, both on offense and defense, but especially on defense. And you're right, especially with your point about the loss of experience. I feel like it will take some time for their, you know, um, their new replacements to come in and, you know, kind of gel and, you know, build chemistry together before, you know, I can confidently say that they're still moving in that direction towards uh, a Super Bowl. Um, and, yeah, to a million's point, I agree. I don't think that Cousins has the ability to take them to a Super Bowl. Um, he's he's serviceable. He can get you to the playoffs, maybe win you a game. I don't think he's the guy that's going to go and, you know, win it all. Um, and so I don't think that they are closer to a Super Bowl. I feel like a new, a, a better quarterback is going to is going to be what's going to actually change that. Arif, I agree. I think especially with your guys' points about the loss of experience, especially on defense, it's a big thing. Especially on that D line, they only have really one returning starter in Daniel Hunter. They've gotten a lot younger. I think they have a lot of talent there with the rookies that they drafted and gathered in free agency. Just to name a few, you know, you got James Lynch from Baylor, Kenny Willekes, Troy Dye from Oregon, and then obviously their two new cornerbacks in Jeff or Jeff Gladney and Cameron Dantzler. So they definitely have quite a bit of talent there, but it'll take a few years for them to get going. I just had another point about. The, um, the players that have departed. So Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph, Trey Waynes, and Xavier Rhodes all combined have 32 years of experience on that Vikings team. Uh, Everson Griffin's been there for 10 years. Linval Joseph's been there for 10 years. 
I think it's really underrated how much experience they are losing out of just these few players leaving. I agree again, Anthony. On to our second question for Minnesota, and that is, who is their most valuable player? And I think if it's strictly talking about value, I think Kirk Cousins is their most valuable player. However, we know that the interpretation of the MVP is a bit different to that. And I think if we're talking about the NFL's interpretation of value, Dalvin Cook is the Vikings MVP. I feel like he's their best player. And uh, I think once most teams, you know, kind of uh, figure out Cousins, it's really on him to kind of, um, you know, lead that running game and kind of, you know, uh, be that um, second option on offense for the Vikings. Yeah, I like your point. You know, when the interpretation of most valuable player comes into play, I do think it's Dalvin Cook still, simply because, you know, the Vikings are a run-first team and Dalvin Cook is one of the best running backs in the league. Kirk Cousins, while he is a good quarterback, he's not really valuable in my opinion. I think it shows that the Vikings went so far with Case Keenum as their quarterback. I think Kirk Cousins doesn't add that much to the team. I think that Dalvin Cook brings a lot more than he does. Yeah, as much as Kirk Cousins, um, you know, isn't a superb quarterback by any means, he is, you know, he's their most valuable player because, you know, if he goes down, they're done. Like, I'm not backing on a guy like Sean Mannion to come in and, you know, take the reins. And, like, to me, it doesn't matter if they're a run-first team because, you know, you still need a guy throwing a football and Dalvin Cook isn't going to be able to, you know, take a team led by a backup like Mannion, you know, back to the playoffs. Yeah, I'm going to make a point a bit different to what you guys have made so far. I wonder what your thoughts are on this. I think, obviously, Dalvin Cook, it seems like the most, you know, valuable, valuable player on paper. But I think, especially since the Vikings, you know, defense is, has their biggest question mark on whether the team can perform in 2020. For me, I think Daniel, Daniel Hunter is probably the most valuable to the team overall. Having lost Everson Griffin and Lival Joseph, you know, you know, lethal pass, pass rushes and really, you know, form the base of that defense over the last couple of years. Hunter becomes one of the more experienced players on the defense, automatically having them gone. And with 14 and a half sacks in both 2018 and 2019, he certainly has a talent too. I think, I know, what do you guys think about that? I completely agree, Anthony. Honestly, I, I liked your point as well, Jack, about Cook, but really, Daniil Hunter is the only real proven player on that defensive line now I think he's gonna have to I mean he's had those 14 and a half sack seasons as you mentioned Anthony but not only is he gonna have to reproduce that he's gonna have to step up into the shoes of Everson Griffin in that kind of leadership role and mentor some of the rookies and I think that will really show us whether he is their most valuable player rather than just his statistics yeah, that's a good point you bring up there, Anthony, about Hunter. I was going to say, um, after Cook, you know, in terms of honourable mentions, I feel like Daniel Hunter and Adam Thielen, are, you know, just kind of behind Cook is the next, you know, two best candidates for um, MVP on the Vikings. I'm going to move now to the Chicago Bears, and the first question for them is, can the defence get back to its 2018 form? I feel like they can, based on the off-season additions made on defense. You know, you've got Tayshawn Gibson to replace Haha Clinton Dix at strong safety. They drafted a really promising cornerback in Jalen Johnson out of Utah to replace the departing Prince of Mugamara. Um, Robert Quinn is a massive upgrade from Leonard Floyd. And, you know, having a better complementary pass rushing teammate in Quinn is hugely beneficial for a guy like Killer Mack, 
you know, who consistently draws double teams from opponents. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think they definitely can get back to the 2018 form. And I think the reason for that is because all the key players from that season are still there. You know, Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson, Kyle Fuller, etc. And whether or not they lost uh, some players, as you mentioned, Jack, you know, they lost Prince Mukamara, they lost Haha Clinton Dix. They replaced them. And in some, in some ways, they actually upgraded at that position. So I agree. I don't see why the defense can't get back to that form. The only question mark I have is the departure of Vic Fangio last season has, will it have more of an impact on the team in the next few years than we originally thought. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Million. I think another point I was going to bring up about whether or not they can get back to their 2018 form, I think it kind of relies, it has some um, responsibility on, you know, the quarterback performance and the performance of the offense on whether or not the defense can get back to that level. Because obviously, you know, you don't have to make much about football to know that if your defense is on the field for a long amount of time, they can't perform you know, as well as if they had extended breaks. So I think if Trubisky can, can, can perform well, having, you know, having like someone like Nick Foles right there to potentially take over if he slips up could put pressure on him to perform and could, you know, it could boost the production of the defense having less time spent on the field. I agree with that point. I like that point, Anthony. I feel like fatigue does really come into the equation as, you know, those games go on. There were... Uh, a few games last season, like uh, against the Eagles, where you know they just had consistent three, three and out after three and out after three and out, and it really took a toll on the defense because, you know, as elite as the Bears' defense is, you know, they can only, um, you know, take so much. You know, they can only stay on the field so long before they start, you know, getting tired. Uh, I, I feel like that definitely factors factors mm-hmm. in. Um, yeah. I feel like Robert Quinn is exactly what this team needs to get that Bears defense back to that level. I liked your point about, you know, maybe it would be better if there was, there was a distraction on the other side for Max so he doesn't constantly get double teams. Some, something like what happened with Aaron Donald at the Rams. He started getting triple teamed when they didn't have that threat on the other side. So I feel like with Quinn now here who who produced pretty well in Dallas last season. I reckon this really opens up the defensive line for Khalil Mack to get back to his best. Yeah, that's a good point you make there, Riff. Uh, Khalil Mack did uh, have his season with double teams. And I think that had a lot to do with Leonard Floyd, who was opposite him, who really wasn't able to produce enough, you know, to kind of take some of the um, burden off of Mack. And I feel like, Robert Quinn is a definite upgrade over Floyd and will be able to take some of that pressure off Mac when he is uh, eventually double-teamed and sometimes triple-teamed. On to our second question for the Bears, and that is, is this a make-or-break year for head coach Matt Nagy? I don't think so. I think three years is too soon for a head coach to be axed if they don't perform well. And even though he was you know, quite bad last season because of the play call and all that, uh, his, in his first year as head coach for the Bears, he won Coach of the Year for a reason. I mean, that Bears team was quite good. You know, they went 12-4, and four, best defense in the league. And it looks, their defense looks promising again this season. As we just mentioned, they can get back to that form. So I don't think this is a make, make or break year for Matt Nagy. I think it's more uh, break or break year for management to really do something about that offense if it doesn't change much anytime soon. Yeah, I agree with you, Emilian. So they went 8-8, eight eight, you know, in 2019. I think... Based off that performance and, you know, obviously wanting to improve off that, I feel like realistically, you know, a 10-6 and six record or something, you know, around that would be, 
you know, some like if they were to, if Matt Nagy was to, um, you know, take a step back and and you know, regress on that eight and eight record, I feel like his job would be on the line. But if he was able to get ten and six and maybe compete for that wild card spot, you know, especially since there's another, you know, there's a third wild card spot in the conference up for grabs this year, I think that's a realistic expectation for Bears fans to have in terms of whether or not he should remain as a coach in the future. Yeah, I agree, Anthony. To your point, a million. Uh, as much as if he did have a good season this season, he might not get fired. I feel like Chicago is a very uh, critical fan base. And I feel like if there is another below pass season this year, I feel like fans will start to kind of push the envelope and start to kind of, um, you know, talk about the possibility of hiring a new head coach. But personally, I feel like if they go eight and eight or worse this year, there is every chance he could get the boot at the end of the year. I don't think though that'll happen because I feel like Chicago will improve massively after his pointing twenty nineteen campaign. Riff. I have a question for you, Jack. Yep. Do you think if the Bears perform to a similar level that they did in twenty nineteen and, and let's say Matt Nagy he didn't have those kind of bad play calling issues or anything. It was more on the offensive and defensive coordinators. Do you think the Bears look to replace some of their other stuff rather than just blaming it on the head coach? Well, Arif, Chicago went and uh, brought in a new offensive coordinator this year, uh, at the beginning of this year, as well as a new run game coordinator. So I feel like... They did make some changes. They had a look at last year and they did make some changes. But I feel like Matt Nagy does shoulder most of the responsibility for their struggles, especially on the offense last season, because he is the play caller at the end of the day. And as bad as Trubisky was, the blame does also go to Nagy because he has got to play call to his quarterback's strengths. And I feel like he called a, a few too many of those cute players and Trubisky wasn't able to really work it out uh, as well as he did in 2018. And so I feel like it was a lot on Nagy, but, you know, there were definite issues with the run game and the offensive line. So changes had to be made, and I did make those changes. So I'll be interested to see how those changes pan out this year. On to the Detroit Lions, and our first question for them is, how close is this team to contention, Emilian? I think the NFC North as a whole is quite weak. I don't think this season we're going to be seeing a team that has, you know, higher than a 12-4 record. Last year we had the Packers at 13-3. Year before we had the Bears at twelve and four, and the year before that Vikings at thirteen and three. So I think the Lions can definitely contend for the playoffs if they're healthy. I think that offense has a lot of talent. For me, it's just a defense that holds them back quite a bit because there is just not much talent there. Yeah, man, I completely agree with you. Like, I want to make a point about you know they lost Darius Slay in the offseason, and I think as you mentioned about that defense, you know, being particularly bad compared to the rest of the division, I think. Losing Darius Slay is such a massive loss to an already depleted defense. That's a good point you make there, Anthony. I was just going to make that same point about Slay. I feel like he was a really big off-season loss, and I still I still think this team is a fair way away from playoff contention. They also lost Geronimo Allison just even before the season started to the, the um, COVID nineteen opt out. So that's also a pretty big loss to their offense. But yeah, I, I still feel like they're a fair way away. They're a, few too many holes on that defense. Their run game is a bit iffy. Yeah, I still think they're um, a few seasons, a couple seasons away. I agree with your point, Jack. I feel like there's a lot of question marks on this Lions team. 
especially with the return of Stafford after all these injuries, if he can get back to that form. I feel like in the next two, three years, it's more realistic for them to make a playoff push. They drafted a bunch of promising rookies. And also, we also have to think about, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, that seventh wildcard spot. And I feel like this season, there's too many other good teams, especially in the NFC South and West, that could be taking that spot. But the Lions can probably push for that in 2021 or 22. I agree. I think when you look at, you know, how far away they are, I don't think it's this season at all. I think, yeah, as you said, Jack, a couple of seasons. But the Lions do have a pretty young roster. You know, Stafford obviously is in his 30s, but when you've got Kerryon Johnson, DeAndre Swift, and Kenny Golladay all on that offense, there's a lot of promise there. And you look at the other teams in the NFC North, I think the Lions' best chance of getting into the playoffs is actually winning the division rather than a wildcard spot because of the amount of strong teams in other divisions in the NFC. So you look at the other teams in the NFC North, you see the Packers, they're having problems. The Bears' offense is having problems and the Vikings as a whole are having problems. I think that, you know, winning the division is the way to go for the Lions in the next few years. I agree with you guys. I think the time is now for the Lions. I don't think it happens, but I feel like now is the right time for them, you know, to, you know, make a playoff push. They've got one of the best wide receivers in the league in Galladay. And I think it's on Stafford. He's got to stay healthy and he's got to really lift this team because, it's going to be the offense that does it for me. It won't be the defense. It's got to be Stafford and that offense that's going to do it for them. I don't see it happening, but I think this is the year. It's this year or next. It's got to be. It's got to be soon because eventually Stafford's time is going to start running out. On to our next question for Detroit, and that is: How long does Matt Patricia have left, Anthony? Yeah, so I think with all the points we made about the last question, it kind of ties into you know how long. Um, Matt Patricia has, and based off how he can get the Lions to perform. I think given that the roster is young and they're coming off, you know, a season where they went, you know, had only three wins, 12 losses and one, you know, one tie. I think, I think two seasons is a, is a decent amount of time to get that team together, you know, to get some experience into the young players, to maybe go to the draft or trade for some players if they need to. Um, I think, I think having a winning record by those two seasons would be enough for him to keep his job by that stage. I just want to add to your point, Anthony. I do agree that, you know, he hasn't had much time, but he's really not in the easiest position for a head coach to be with the Lions, uh, always battling, you know, injury mm. issues, having relatively a weak team in the past few years. Uh, I don't think he has much longer left, though, because he just hasn't really done much at all, despite, you know, not having much to do. I completely agree with your point, Anthony. I think it's completely unrealistic to with, with, with the roster he has now to work with to say after this season, if he has a season below you know, eight wins, for example, I, I think it's completely unfair on him if they, if they fire him. He doesn't have much to work with. In saying that, if after the next season or two, he doesn't get them to you know, a winning record or, or the playoffs, I think that's when they really start to put his job in jeopardy. I kind of disagree with you guys. I feel like even though Matt Patricia was given the greatest roster, he hasn't really done much in free agency or in the draft to kind of, you know, make a really, you know, quick improvement for the Lions. Um, he, he obviously, he wasn't given much, but he's not done a lot either. And I feel like there's a decent chance he gets shown the door if the Lions produce another losing season in 2020. Jack, do you think that 
below eight wins is uh, more harsh. I think that if he reproduces another season like they did, I think five wins max. Uh, I think by then, if he only get, manages that, I think that's where he gets run the door. But I think if they get six or seven wins, I think that's still a pretty good effort for the Lions. I feel like with a healthy Stafford and a healthy Golladay, you know, and if the running game improves, I feel like seven wins just isn't really enough to justify that offense. Uh, you know, he's he's had he's had three seasons now, and he's done literally nothing in those seasons. Well, it, it'll be th- it'll be his third season this year, but up to now he's done zero. And if he doesn't, if he gets a losing season again and no playoffs, I feel like there's an outside chance he comes back in 2021. That wraps up our state of the franchise for the four NFC North teams. And we're going to move on to the NFC South and kick it off with the New Orleans Saints. And the first question we have for them is, is their Super Bowl window closing, Arif? I feel like their Super Bowl window isn't closing. And my reasoning for that is uh, they, they have one of the best secondaries in the league now after adding Malcolm Jenkins and earlier in this last season, Janoris Jenkins. I feel like the reason that their Super Bowl window could be closing is has Drew Brees got enough arm talent to get them back to the playoffs? And I think that's a massive question mark on their team, considering that we can all see his arm strength steadily declining. And will Jameis Winston be the guy after him? And if he's not able to be the guy then they're going to have some issues going into the future. I do worry about New Orleans' ability to show up in the big moments. Their playoff run in 2018 was cut short in the NFC Championship game, and they're a massive letdown in the playoffs last season of falling short in the wildcard round. If they don't reach the Super Bowl this season, I'll be pretty concerned about their window closing, Anthony. Yeah, I honestly think, especially since the Saints went out and got Emmanuel Sanders, and you know, I still have Michael Thomas... And Alvin Kamara, and they still have that, you know, brilliant defense. I think whilst there is a fair case to say that, you know, Drew Brees aging is contri- is contributing a decent amount to, you know, how much the offense can operate in terms of being that aerial threat they, that they, you know, like a few seasons ago, they were much more dangerous by the air than they are now compared, you know, since Drew Brees is aging it. But I think, I think there's just too much weapons on the offense to say that they, that they're, you know, they're declining by any means. I think the well, window is still open. Just I think. I don't know. I feel like with Emmanuel Sanders, they should look at the boost and you know their offense and go further into the playoffs they did last year. I think their Super Bowl window is still open, and the reason I say that is that, as you said, Anthony, they've got a ton of talent uh, on the offense enough to keep Breeze going. And even after that, I think that a backup quarterback, whether that be a rookie that they draft in the next few years who learns uh, with on the bench while Breeze is still playing his final few years. I think that Teddy Bridgewater showed last season that, you know, you don't have to be a great quarterback to do well in the Saints system. Uh, he, Teddy Bridgewater went undefeated in the five games he played for the Saints. So I'm pretty sure that he's going to, the Saints are going to have a Super Bowl opportunity. As you said, Jack, though, they haven't been able to come up big when it matters in the playoffs. I think they've been quite underwhelming uh, in the past two years when it comes to the playoffs. So we'll have to see going forward will they be able to finally, you know, face their demons and actually make it to the Super Bowl? On to our second question for the Saints. That is, how long does Drew Brees have left, Anthony? I think this Drew Brees, you know, is obviously ageing. He's 41 years old. I think this can be compared to Tom Brady in New England. Obviously, they kind of, you know, moulded that offence around him ageing and not being able to throw as long as he used to. I think the Saints are doing that at the moment with Drew Brees, you know, 
Michael Thomas has been, you know, criticised for not running as, you know, as deep routes. He's more of a shorter route options. And I think that's because of Drew Brees' ageing. And I think also, I don't know if you remember in the playoffs against the Vikings, how um, it was in, a, I think, just before halftime, Taysom Hill threw that massive bomb down, you know, and it got caught on, like, the three-yard line. And that was, like, Taysom Hill came in to do that. Like, Drew Brees couldn't have done that, you know, especially how considering how old he is. I think the Saints are at the moment currently, you know, adjusting to Drew Brees' ageing. And I think you'd probably safe to say he has three seasons left if I was to put a numerical answer to that. Yeah, I feel like he's probably got about two years maximum left in him. If they win it all this year, though, I think he might retire before 2021. And I think if he if he chooses to retire at the end of this year, I feel like James Winston will have a very good shot at taking over that starting role in New Orleans. He does have the arm talent that Drew Brees doesn't. And I feel like that signing is pretty underrated. I think it's actually pretty significant than where I thought about it, as he I think he will get his chance to start for the Saints once Drew Brees' time is up. It'll be interesting to see what the Saints do regarding quarterback. I know, Jack, as you've mentioned, James Winston could very well be the guy for them once Drew Brees is gone. But do you guys think that they should maybe consider drafting a rookie quarterback in the next few years, maybe to learn under Drew Brees for a year or two so that, you know, they can have a more reliable option than James Winston? I honestly don't think so because they already have Taysom Hill. And I know you said apart from James Winston, but like they already have three quarterbacks at the moment. If Drew Brees goes, they have two. So it's not something in the long term they really have to consider for a while. I don't think you can bank on... Taysom Hill being like a full-time quarterback, I feel like he's, his role is perfect as a guy can come in every now and again and be on fourth down, you know, throw a pass. I don't think you can bank him, bank on him as a, you know, a full-time quarterback. And I do agree with your point a million. I feel like they definitely should in next year's draft, look at drafting a quarterback to learn under Breeze, maybe take a back seat to Winston perhaps, or he might beat out Winston. But I feel like, you could create a quarterback battle between Winston and a potential draft pick once Brace's time is up. Arif? I don't think that the Saints will go out next season, for example, and go draft the quarterback. I think their quarterback room is quite good as it is. I think they have one of those wildcat quarterbacks that are proving so valuable. They pretty much define the position, and that's Taysom Hill. They have They went out and got... Jameis Winston in the offseason. They have Breeze who will play until he's not able to play. That's the kind of trust that they have in him. And they also went out and drafted a quarterback in the draft. So I think it's really – I don't think they're going to go out and get one next season. On we move now to the Atlanta Falcons, and our first question for them is, is their Super Bowl window still open, Arif? I don't think that it is still open. I feel like – they got a team where a couple of key position players haven't really played together. I mean, their cornerback situation is a bit confused at the moment. They have a couple of young guys that haven't played together. They also have Todd Gurley, who's new to the system. So it'll be interesting to see, but I don't think their Super Bowl window is still open. Yeah, I don't think their Super Bowl window is, is still open, and that's primarily because of the rest of the division, mainly the Buccaneers and the Saints. It's just going to be too hard to compete with for the division. And whilst that third wild card spot is definitely achievable, especially with additions to teams such as, you know, AJ Terrell on the defense, 
I believe you can't say a team's Super Bowl window is still open if they're aiming for that wild card spot. You know, obviously the Titans, you know, proved us wrong making it to the AFC Championship game last season and, you know, nearly getting to the Super Bowl. But just, I think the Falcons, they aren't the team that they were when they reached the Super Bowl a couple of seasons ago. And, you know, for the time being, it's closed, in my opinion. I disagree with your point about a team that aims for a wild card spot not being able to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, we've had the Giants uh, in 2011 who went who won the Super Bowl as the number six seed. We had the Packers who won Super Bowl 45 as the number six seed. I think if the Falcons can get in the playoffs, I do believe they can get into the Super Bowl. And I think the Super Bowl window is open, but ever so slightly, mainly because Matt Ryan and Julio Jones are still playing at a very high level. They've still got Dion Jones. And their their roster their, their team was quite good in the second half of last season. They went six and two, I believe, in the second half. And honestly, that just shows a lot of promise for this season. I think the Falcons are definitely an underrated team going into the season. Uh, Anthony, you made a point about the Falcons aiming for a wild card spot, and, and I mean, you kind of followed up on it. I don't feel like any team goes into the season thinking, "Oh, let's aim for a wild card spot." Every single team wants to go for the Super Bowl, and so I don't. I, yeah, I don't think any team just goes in and just you know just aims just for a wildcard spot. You know, every single team wants to go all the way. Now, I think if the window for them is open, it's open by a sliver. They have to make the playoffs this year at least. Otherwise, it's shut for sure, in my opinion. Yeah, I guess I might have like phrased that wrong. I think, I think it's just too hard for them to go out and expect to win a division, considering you know they got the Buccaneers who are you know expected to do so much in the season. You still have the Saints there. I think whilst it, you wouldn't say that they're aiming for him, I don't think they're really – I wouldn't get your hopes up on them winning the division, especially with the talent, you know, through the Saints and the Buccaneers, have to, they have to compete with in that division. On to our next question for the Falcons, and that is, can the offense produce as well as the roster suggests? I feel like it hasn't really lived up to expectations the last couple of seasons, so I doubt that it will this season, but I'm hoping the insertion of Todd Gurley into the offense can kind of rejuvenate the team. I agree. Uh, they have been on the decline since Matt Ryan won the MVP award. But I think having the best receiver in the league, in my opinion, is Julio Jones. I think the addition of Todd Gurley, yes, he's not you know that top tier running back anymore. I still think he can add something. He can bring something to the team that Devontae Freeman just didn't in the past few years. So I think on paper, the roster, is, uh, the offense is quite good. And Kevin Ridley is going to improve. I think that they definitely can live up to those expectations. Yeah, I don't have much to add. I just think, honestly, just with Todd Gurley, you know, they obviously went and got him in the offseason from the Rams. I just think it's just too much, you know, it's just too much to rely on someone who has, you know, quite significant, you know, complications with his knee. You know, I think if he isn't say, able to say it healthy, that one game is almost nearly abolished. And I feel like, I feel like on paper, obviously Julio is definitely, like, yeah, that go-to, you know, duo with Matt Ryan. But I think with that run game, you know, a lot of doubts about if he can stay healthy. I just don't know that this roster is as good as it seems. Anthony, I don't feel like anyone at the Falcons is going to be relying on Todd Gurley in an offense. I think he's going to be that guy who can take the pressure off Ryan and Jones if need be. He definitely won't be, you know, a feature, like a, a strong, you know, feature of that offense. He, he'll be a guy that can come in every now and again and, you know, hopefully make a few splash plays. But I don't think anyone's going to be relying on him to, you know, go back to his MVP contention year a few years back. Uruf? I think they have one of the best trios in the league and also Calvin Ridley at wide receiver. I think the only issue with their offense is if one of those main players goes down, 
I don't think they have a lot of depth in their team, especially in their receiving core. And at tight end, a big question mark will be whether Hayden Hurst can live up to his first-round pick status. On to move now to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and our first question for them is, should we buy into the hype of the 2020 Buccaneers? Absolutely. Uh, I don't see why not. Jameis Winston led the league in passing yards last season for a reason, and that's because he had so many great weapons around him. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, arguably the best uh, receiving duo in the league. And now that they've added Rob Gronkowski, who I think is gonna, still going to be a great tight end, maybe not the best in the league, but I still think he's going to be great. And having, you know, Brady there, we know how good Brady is. We know how good he can be, especially with Gronkowski. Uh, the run defense was best in the league last year. And honestly, I think it just relies on the pass defense if they can you know, not hold the team back as much as they did last year. I think the Bucs are definitely one of the best teams in the NFC. Yeah, I recall a few episodes ago talking about comparing, you know, the hype to the Buccaneers this season as we had for the Browns last season. I think the only difference here is that we know what we're going to get from Tom Brady as opposed to we didn't know what we're going to get from Baker Mayfield heading into last season. That being said, there's no real, there's no massive question marks here on whether or not this team can perform. Because like you said, Emilian, They've showed last year with, you know, how Jameis Winston performed in the team that they have what it takes to be a good team. And with experience and a reliable quarterback in Tom Brady, there's just, you know, they'll be able to take that next step to, you know, making the playoffs. I think we should buy into the hype of the Buccaneers. Obviously, we won't know how good they really are until they actually get into the field in week one. But I feel like there's too much to like to say that they won't live up to the hype. I completely agree with that point. I think this roster's way too talented to have a down season as the Browns did in the past two seasons after their little hype train episode. On to the second Buccaneers question, and is, is Tom Brady the right quarterback to lead this franchise? I think at this point in the year, we're all guessing, but I'd say his experience is exactly what these younger Tampa Bay players need to start playing winning football. And obviously having Gronkowski by his side doesn't hurt either. Anthony? I think Tom Brady is the right person to lead the franchise in the short term. But however, in the long term, I don't think he is that reliable, you know, quarterback to lead the franchise just because he's 43 years old entering the season. He can't be around for much longer, no matter how, you know, how consistently he plays because, you know, questions to whether or not he can stay healthy as he gets older will rise, you know, as he gets into his mid to late 40s. But I think at the moment, in the short term, it is fair to, say, fair to say that he will boost the team and he's the right option. Obviously, in the long term, he's not a good option because obviously of uh, his age. He's going to retire in the next three years. I think Jack hit it perfectly. He's perfect choice so that he can actually lead the younger, more inexperienced players on that Buccaneers team. I think he can definitely lead them uh, for the next three or four years. I think he can lead them to being one of the best teams in the league. And Brady... Regarding his performance on the Bucks last season, what he was missing were reliable targets, and he's got an abundance of them now. So, absolutely, it's right choice to lead this franchise in the short term. Did you say he could lead for the next three or four years? Well, I mean, I mean, three or four years if he keeps playing. I think as long as he keeps playing, he's the right guy for them to be be one of the best teams in the league. Do you think he'll last four years? No, I don't think four years. If he if he leads four years. If he starts four years left, I think by the end, he's going to look like Peyton Manning did at the end of his career. So um, let me rephrase my thing. As long as he's still playing, you know, at the expected level, he's definitely the right guy to lead this franchise. I feel like the kind of character that Tom Brady shows, 
I feel like if he doesn't achieve this kind of success with the Bucks, you know, maybe getting to a Super Bowl and winning, I don't think he's going to go out until he achieves that success just, just based on his demeanor and stuff. But definitely, as you mentioned, Anthony, short-term, he is the viable option here at quarterback. On we move now to the final team of our State of the Franchise episode, and that is the Carolina Panthers. And our first question for them is, are the Panthers closer to rebuilding or contending for a playoff spot? And I think they're closer to rebuilding, but I don't think their roster is that bad or as bad as people suggest. It might take uh, new head coach Matt Rule a few seasons to get his franchise back on track, however. Anthony? Yeah, I agree with you, Jack. For me, I believe that the Panthers are certainly close to rebuilding. With additions you know, such as Robbie Anderson, Teddy Bridgewater, the offense is certainly nowhere near the level of explosiveness that the Bucks, the Saints, and even the Falcons currently have, making you know competing for a playoff spot in the NFC South a significant challenge to a team that finished 5-11. Also, on defense, the Panthers drafted solely defensive players you know, with the seven draft picks that they had in the draft. So they certainly are rebuilding. I agree with you guys. I think rebuilding is definitely the way they go, they should go right now, and I think they are. I think you know they don't have a very explosive offense. They don't have a massive player. Obviously, apart from McCaffrey, McCaffrey is their best player. He's the best running back in the league, and I think it's going to take a while for them to build a team around him on both sides of the ball as well. On defense, they've got a long ways to go now that Keekley's gone, and Teddy Bridgewater, in my opinion, is more of a placeholder QB until they find something better. I completely agree with those two points, Amelia. I feel like there's a lot of potential in the coming drafts, especially the 2021 draft, for the Panthers to find a quarterback because of their complete focus in the 2020 draft on defense. I feel like in the future, that's going to leave quite a few gaps on the offense that need to be filled during the draft. On to our second question for the Panthers, and that is how much does Teddy Bridgewater improve his team, Amelia? I don't think he improves it much at all, to be honest. I think the offense is still going to run through McCaffrey. That being said, Terry Bridgewater is definitely a much better quarterback than Kyle Allen. And he's got good weapons in DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson. But I think the team needs much more than him to improve drastically. I agree. He's certainly an upgrade from Kyle Allen. I'm not sure yet whether he's an upgrade from Cam Newton. We'll have to wait and see for that one. However, I like the signing for Carolina. I'm hoping he'll be able to build some chemistry with Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, and DJ Moore in Charlotte. Roof? I agree with both your points. I feel like he's a completely better player than Kyle Allen. However, the the play style that Carolina run, I don't feel like he's going to have any real game-changing impact. It's still going to be focused around Christian McCaffrey. I've got a question for you guys. Do you guys think that Teddy Bridgewater played so well in the Saints because of the team he had around him. I mean, he had Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas. He had a great offensive line. Do you think we're gonna, we should expect the same production from him on a worse offense in Carolina? That's a good question, Emilian. I feel like Bridgewater did do some nice things in Minnesota before he was injured. And I do remember that roster. It was significantly, well, it, it, was, it, was, worse, it was worse than the Saints roster he, he played with last season. So I feel like he does have the ability to play well when, you know, his teammates maybe aren't, you know, superstars, but obviously the the the, um, the pretty elite roster in New Orleans definitely did help him last season, Arif. I feel like a main important thing is the offensive line. He had a pretty good offensive line back in Minnesota and definitely an elite 
one in New Orleans. So if the Panthers' offensive line can hold up for him, I think that will go a long ways to him showing the kind of things he did in his previous teams. I agree, Riff. Now that wraps up our State of the Franchise for the NFC South and NFC North this week on episode 12. Make sure you tune in for the third of four episodes next week in episode 13, where we go over our AFC East and AFC West State of the Franchise series. If you haven't already followed us on Instagram, please do so. That is at touch.down.under. That's where you can find all of our podcast content as well as content that we don't go over in the podcast. It's great stuff. Make sure you give it uh, give it a look. We're also on Twitter at the TDU Podcast, and we premiere our podcasts on Facebook and YouTube at Touchdown Under. Thank you guys for listening once again, and we will see you next week.